Good morning. My name is Kate, and the scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Can we say thank you to Kate? There's some tough words in that one. Thank you, Kate. Awesome. Appreciate you being willing to read. So I want to ask you to think about a moment that you've had in your life when you've been locked out somewhere. So we could go around the room today and there's all kinds of stories, this is my assumption, of being locked out of a vehicle, being locked out of a workplace, being locked out of your house. Anybody experienced that ever? This is probably 2012, it might have been 2013, but Michaela and I are brand new parents, and we were driving around with uh, our little baby Griffin in a car seat, and there was a couple from church that was going to come over, and they were going to drop by a meal, bless their hearts. And so we pulled in our driveway and realized, oh my goodness, we do not have keys to the house. And the couple from church pulls up and like, hey, we have a meal for you guys. We're like, great, we can't get into our house. But we are responsible parents. I promise we're doing the best that we can. It was not one of our best moments in life ever. But there's another one that I think of when I was doing youth ministry. Uh, We were coming back from a trip. We were in Minneapolis. And the kids were driving me nuts to go to Chipotle. They like wanted to go to Chipotle so bad. And I was like, gross, why would you want to go there? And so we go to Chipotle because I finally gave in. You know how it is. I gave in. Uh, We go, I order, and I go to the bathroom. And I, like, go to exit the bathroom and, like, the door's locked. So I think somebody's playing a joke on me, right? So there's, like, a little eighth-grade punk on the other side of the door, right? No. The, it's literally locked. So they go and get the manager. I'm, you guys, I'm in the bathroom probably a half an hour for sure, maybe longer. And they're trying to figure out why this is like all locked, what's going on. I'll be honest, I don't know that I've been to Chipotle very many times since. So I just kind of have like some, Chipotle and I have some work to do. Like it's not a good feeling to be locked out somewhere. 
It's one thing to be locked out of your car, to be locked out of your house, but it's a totally different thing to be locked out of community, isn't it? Like for something to like separate you from the opportunity of being a part of a group of people. And what I think is beautiful about Pentecost is that the the doors that existed before Pentecost are being dissolved by the power of the Spirit. Because we'll talk about this today a little bit. There's There's a moment, they're all gathered in the house, right? And then what happens? They find their way from the house to the street. So there's a small group of people, and then there's a larger group of people. Uh, When I was in seminary, I got asked um, by a group of people from a church to uh, come and speak about the book of Revelation. They had a bunch of questions about the book of Revelation, which I know is very few of us. It's very easy to understand. You just have to read it, so it's simple. And, joking. And so I show up at this house, and I kind of show up like this, right? This is like just me, right? I'm not probably going to wear a tie, not super fancy. I had like a sweatshirt. And um, I went to the bathroom before I was going to uh, kind of field their questions, just like a Q&A, the whole book of Revelation, all 21 chapters, and we're just going to have this discussion, right? It sounds like I go to the bathroom a lot because both stories have to do with that. And just know that. Come in two weeks. I won't have a bathroom story, I promise. And so while that's going on, I hear some people outside of the door um, talking. And as I, like, get closer to the door, I realize they're talking about me. And they're having a conversation about whether this whole thing is going to be worth their time because of what I looked like. Because I kind of showed up like this, right? T-shirt, jeans. I guarantee you I was wearing these Adidas shoes, been wearing them for 13 years, and probably always going to be doing that. They had made an assumption about what it was going to be like because of how I presented myself and how I looked. And I looked too young to have really much of anything to say. So I'll tell you, speaking in front of a group of people is difficult. Speaking in front of a group of people after that has happened is kind of in a different level, right? So we did it. I did the whole Q&A, and at the very end, uh, the two individuals who had like been making some jokes and saying some unkind things, uh, at the beginning of the night came to me and they said, hey, we just need to apologize. Uh, we know that you heard what we said and we just need you to know that we were wrong. And I'm really thankful that God has given me that moment in life, especially in ministry, because if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to understand what it's like to seal and experience a locked door to be told well no like based on what you look like based on our assumptions like you're just not a part of this for one reason or one or another but what's beautiful about the spirit of god the spirit of god doesn't just speak one language the spirit of god communicates and demonstrates his love and compassion and care and plan for all of the nations of the earth. And so Pentecost, the spirit doesn't stay in the house. At Pentecost, the spirit finds its way to the streets. And so we get to talk about that today. So Pentecost is this celebration in the Jewish world. There's really three major feasts in Judaism. So you have the, the festival of tabernacles, 
where they would kind of celebrate and remember back in Egypt when they were a mobile people. And they would put up a tent, they lived there, and then they moved around to another place and kind of did that. They did that for a really long time. And so every year, Jews all around the world will remember that season of life. And there's another feast uh, called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is a feast where they remember what it was like when God provided manna for all of the people. Same thing every day. If you've ever gotten tired of having a certain kind of thing for supper, manna every day for many, 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 many days. But they remember God's provision in that. And then the Feast of Weeks, which is what we know as Pentecost. This is a, a, it's a harvest celebration. It's a harvest festival. So what would happen is that they would bring the, the, the kind of the first round of wheat of the harvest, and they would give it to the priest, and the priest would present it in the temple. And this was a, a prayer of gratitude to God that, well, thank you for providing this, but also a recognition that there is more still to come. Harvest has begun but it's not completed yet. And in the Jewish mind, they celebrate this festival, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. That's the Penta part. This is the kind of the Greek name uh, for that. And we can kind of go back and the way, the moment I like to think of the first Pentecost has to do with a guy named Moses. And Moses is leading a group of people um, out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And they stop at this place called Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain and has this experience with God where God says, hey, like, this is my heart. I need you to tell the people. I need you to help them understand what my heart is towards them and what I desire their heart to be towards one another. And Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, with these, the law of God written on tablets of stone so that they might be written on every human heart. And what's interesting in the book of Acts, we don't see Moses ascending anywhere. We see Jesus ascending. Jesus ascends into heaven and what comes down, not the law, not the heart of God written on tablets of stone, but the Spirit of God. So there's this really beautiful parallel that happens in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 2, this is what we know as the Christmas story. There's a spirit conception and there's a Bethlehem birth, isn't there? It comes by the Spirit. But in Acts chapter 2, there's a spirit conception but there's a Jerusalem birth. And so they're, they're both birth stories. One is the, the servant Jesus, the King Jesus, the baby Jesus, but the other is the Spirit. And if you're asking, well, is this purposeful, Luke would say, of course it is. Of course I want you to see it. Of course I want you to notice it. So there's a couple different narrative movements in the narrative that I want you to see. So here's the first movement, is the outpouring of the Spirit in the first four verses. This is Acts chapter 2. And then we see the initial response of the crowds. It's what Kate read. Maybe they've had too much wine. That's kind of the initial response of the crowd. But then we see a third movement, Peter. He stands up, and Peter's got a message. 
Peter's had a little bit of a, I don't know, a rocky road when it comes to following Jesus. Fits and starts, ups and downs. I think we can very much identify with that. Let's not pretend that we don't know what that's like. And then the last movement, I love this today. There's a second response of the crowd. And can I just remind you, like, when it comes to you having a conversation about Jesus with someone, can we be a people who don't limit them to their first response? Can we be a people who would give them an opportunity to have a second response? Because we shouldn't just decide that, oh, they're not interested, that the Spirit isn't speaking, oh, that we would be perseverance in carrying the name of Jesus in our day. Because there's a second response of the crowd that comes later. So verse 1. In the original language, when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled, Luke uses this language of being fulfilled, and he's going to use that in his gospel in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, it was a new phase of ministry. So when you get to chapter 9 in the book of Luke, Jesus is setting his face toward Jerusalem. He's marching toward Jerusalem, and nothing's going to stop him from giving his life. Verse 2, we, see the, we hear the audible presence of the Spirit. So there's a sound like a violent wind. And if we're from South Dakota, we know what that's like. We know that wind like rattling on the windows. And there's a wind that is comforting and cool in the, in the late summer evening. And then there's a wind where it's like we're going outside and what happened to our umbrella outside? And we have some neighbors in the, we kind of share a fence in the back. And it's happened a couple of times. They have this like umbrella um, that is all for their outside table, their patio. And it's just like got up and like flown somewhere, right? Like windy in South Dakota. So first, there's this presence of a violent wind. And then in verse 3, there's the visible presence of the Spirit. Luke says that there's something like tongues of fire that would rest on each individual person. And can I just tell you that when it comes to you being empowered, there is a, there's a corporate nature of the way that we've been empowered together. But can I tell you that there's also like in an individual way that you have been knit together, that you have been empowered to carry out what God has given you to do. And then in verse four, there's the verbal presence of the Spirit. And they speak as the Spirit enabled them. And Luke tells us all kinds of languages, all kinds of tongues, and all of these people who are gathered for this festival are coming from all of these different places. And it's so amazing to hear good news, isn't it? But even more amazing to hear good news in your own language, in a way that speaks close to your heart. We see wind and we see fire. These 
untamable forces. Like you can't box wind in. You can't box fire in. And this should make us think of Exodus 34 when we see a pillar of cloud and fire that leads the people of God. That it goes before them and and paves the way in the same way in the book of Acts. That when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be the pillar of fire. And it's going to be the cloud that we follow, that empowers us to step into every single moment the Spirit of God has invited us into. It's interesting in the book of Luke that the Spirit works softly and secretly at times. Like this isn't the only way that we see the Spirit of God showing up in the book of Luke. And it's easy for us to maybe think like, oh, that must be the norm. Like, God just must work softly and secretly. But in the book of Luke, also the Spirit works forcefully. It shows up in power in a moment. And then here's the shift in verse 4. Here's the movement from them all sitting in a house to the street. Here's the moment when the good news is that the doors have been dissolved and they're no longer gathered together in one place, but they're in the streets. There's this New Testament scholar that I really like, Beverly Roberts Gaventa. In some unexplained way, the walls of the house dissolve and the community finds itself outdoors and in the presence of Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And I think today as we celebrate Pentecost, I think there's a question that's helpful for us, like what kind of doors need dissolving in our world? Like what kind of doors have we created? And I know this is a super typical thing for a pastor to say, the church needs to live outside the walls. I'm telling you that the Spirit has called us to do that. And I'm also telling you that we have been resistant to living in that way. I'm telling you that there are doors in our world that we have created and we might not even realize them. Because we would have a moment where someone looks a certain way and what we do is we attach meaning and worth and gifting to those people. And that's a door. That the Spirit of God would be kind enough to help us dissolve. It's all happening in this moment. Often we think of doors as comfort, don't we? Well, just go inside. There's a scary dog in the neighborhood. Just go inside. There's there's a storm coming. Just go inside. Shut the door. That can be comforting. Can I tell you that doors can also be weaponized? That they can also be used to, to lock and shut people out. And what Luke wants to say, like, don't watch and study the wind. Like, in the same way when we're younger and we're learning about cells in science class. Remember how this is taught? There's like a diagram, right? And you see all the different parts of the cell. It's so different when you get into anatomy and you actually get to see it underneath a microscope and you get to 
be in the moment where you understand how it all fits together, you get to experience it. I'll never forget when I'm a seventh grader, we got to dissect a frog and to see how it all works together. And of course, as a little grossed out, the, I think it was the formaldehyde, right, that the, that the frog lives in. But can I just tell you that in the church, sometimes I think what's happened with the Spirit is that we've had this diagram relationship with the Spirit. And what Luke wants us to do, Luke wants us to like get out there and feel the wind and feel the fire, let it sweep over you. Let it sweep over your heart, over your life, over your imagination. And then the next section, verse 5 through verse 12, we see God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, hearing and understanding in their language. And here's just a little bit of a picture of all of the nations that we're talking about. All these different nations are present in this moment, and Luke doesn't list every single nation, of course. He couldn't possibly do that. But what he does is he sets us up so that we understand that for tens of thousands of miles, from all of these different nations with different languages and different backgrounds and different traditions, he's making sure that they hear in their own language the good news of the gospel. And then for the rest of the book of Acts, we will see people walk in that power, doing amazing things in and for the name Jesus. But the crowds are like, what does this mean? Not what is going on, what has happened, like what's the meaning of this? And to answer that question, you need Abraham. We can't understand the answer to this question without Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. We get to meet this incredible man, Abraham, who late, 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 late in life is called to do something that he never thought that he would do, to leave the land that he knew, to step into a different land, a different place. And this is the call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. We find these words, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in this moment, Abraham, if he's present in the house or in the streets, he might say, like, I believed God, but I didn't imagine this. I didn't imagine that the kingdom was going to be this expansive, that it was going to include this many people groups, this many nations. So to answer the question of the crowds, like what does this mean? It means that the image of God and the kingdom of God is multi-ethnic. That's what it means. 
It means that God has loved people enough to demonstrate his love and faithfulness and goodness and character and power in their own language. And we've had an experience with this. Like, you have all spoken to a child in their language. I've watched many of you do it. You hold a four, five, six-month-old baby, and what you, what you, what you, that's speaking to that child in their language, in a way that they can understand. Because why? Because you love them so much. And you want them to what? You want them to receive everything that you have to give, so you find a way to speak to them in a way that they can receive it. It's not you standing off and being like, well, you need to figure out what I'm actually talking about in this moment. So as you grow up, you will come to understand, no, like you step down into their world, don't you? That the kingdom of God is multi-ethnic, the image of God is multi-ethnic, and we need all of the nations of the earth to help us properly worship the one true God of the universe because our God is a God of the nations. And we know there's something like 7,000 languages spoken all over the earth. And through the power of the Spirit, God wants to show up in a way that those people can come to understand and profess this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The truth is that God's blueprint for eternity, it's written in pen. Like you're going to do a renovation on your house and you've got a blueprint and guess what happens? It changes, doesn't it? Because you thought like, well, we were going to do this, but actually now we're going to go do this other thing. And when God's writing his plan for eternity to include all of the nations, all of the people groups of the earth, he writes that in pen because the promise that he gave to Abraham is being fulfilled. In Acts chapter 2. And it is being fulfilled. Anytime you find a way to speak someone else's language, to enter into their story so that they may hear and receive the good news. But then, verse 13, we got to talk about the wine. We can't just leave that last verse hanging, can we? The crowds respond to the Spirit. And they try to say, like, oh, well, like maybe they've just had too much wine. Like, God wouldn't really work this way, would he? And again and again and again in Acts, what do we see? We see opposition. We see scoffing. And we see people who sneer at what the apostles say and what the apostles do. That's part of the book of Acts. The apostles show up and they, they seek to carry the name of Jesus well. And there's some people who are not ready to receive it and they make fun of them and they scoff at them and they reject them. But in the book of Acts, there is also victory in Jesus' name. There's also beautiful moments where a crowd of people will receive the, the message of the apostles, and they will come to saving faith in Jesus. 
And can I just tell you that today there are going to be people, there are people who would say we're wasting our time. Like you've given your life to something that's ridiculous. There are people in our world who would say that we're talking nonsense. I don't know, maybe we're even drunk. Because in this moment they think it's, well, maybe it's the wine. And the problem for us and what we have to wrestle with is that we can live such a blended in existence in our world that we would never be accused of being drunk at nine in the morning. Because we've just kind of found a way it's easy for us to kind of fit in. And what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about standing apart in the ways that are the antithesis, the opposite of the kingdom of God. I'm talking about being salt and being light, of standing apart from the patterns of the world. This is what Paul writes to the church in Romans. So to offer your lives as an offering to God. It's a spiritual act of worship, being transformed and being renewed. And what the Spirit does at Pentecost The Spirit empowers us with language to speak into the lives of people who are lost. Speak a word of grace into the lives of people who are living without hope. Who are living a life without an anchor for the soul, as Hebrews will talk about. And so I just wonder in this room today, what kind of people come to your mind? I wonder what are some individual names, what are some faces, even in this moment. And God has given you an opportunity to speak into their life in their own language. And for some of us, we've had the experience of being rejected. We've had the experience of not really knowing, okay, God, what did you do with that? In church, we just need to keep showing up because, of course, there are going to be people who are going to receive the message. And there are going to be people who are going to reject the message. There are going to be people who are going to try to, who will work to reject it. But that just can't stop us. Like, we need to be perseverant people in that way. We need to do our best to get curious so that we can learn how to speak into the lives of people who are lost, people who maybe don't speak the language that we speak. What can we do as followers of Jesus to be good news in that way and not let some kind of preconceived notion drive us? So I just want to ask you again, like, what kind of faces, what kind of names is the Spirit of God kind enough in this moment to remind you of? And then the second part of that is, how can we be a, a welcoming people? Because it's a really painful thing, isn't it, to experience a locked door, not because you forgot your key, <laughs> because you look like you don't fit, because you sound like you don't fit. 
the book of Acts says, no, I have gone to great lengths to fulfill this promise that I made to Abraham. And so on the day of Pentecost, we welcome the audible presence of the Spirit of God, this violent wind, and we welcome this visible, tangible presence of the Spirit of God, these tongues of fire, so that the world would know, so that our coworker would know, so that our sister would know, so that we would know more deeply of the God who has come to save. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for how it is alive and active, how it moves, how it empowers, how it convicts, how it calls, how it transforms. God, we thank you for the nations. We thank you for the nations that are present in our city. Uh, We thank you for the gift that they are. We thank you for how they help us get a clearer picture of the kingdom of God, for how they help us get a clearer picture of our and their divine image. God, we receive them as a gift, and we thank you for them. And God, in this moment, we we pray for those that the Spirit is bringing to mind now, conversations that we've had, opportunities that you have given us to speak truth into the life of another person, to embody the good news of the kingdom through a relationship. God, we desire to be a people who care deeply, not just for those who are inside this room, but for the people outside of this room. So God, I'm praying that you would give us opportunities, that we would take advantage of opportunities this week to notice when we are being invited in to somebody's story who comes from a different way of life than us. I pray that we would remember Acts chapter 2. It's not something to be avoided. Diversity is not something to be avoided, but diversity is something to be celebrated and embraced and multiplied in Jesus' name. God, we need your spirit in us and in this church to live out what we have been called to live out. to continue walking in the promise that was given to Abraham that the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And God, we thank you for this kingdom that's multi-ethnic. We thank you for your divine image that's multi-ethnic. We thank you for all of the languages of the earth and for your kindness in communicating your good news in our language. 
for your goodness and grace to us. And that we say, thank you, Jesus. Even in this moment, we just realize this Bible, that we have the gift of reading, is not originally written in English. So we, we can hold in our hands and on our phones this tangible evidence of your goodness and faithfulness and love and translating in all of these different languages your good news. God, will we be translators too of your good news in the lives of others as a way to walk in the footsteps of Abraham and to be people who point to you, our Savior and our Lord, our Redeemer, our Comforter, our Rescuer, our King. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more together.